Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going. The title of the message tonight is Don't Give Him a Foothold. Don't Give Him a Foothold. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to prep you just a little bit before I really dig into this. Uh, the Lord has burdened, it, this is so wild, it's not just me. Uh, Corey and I had a conversation, Corey O'Hara, our middle school pastor, him and I had a conversation this morning. I said, bro, where are you, like, what are you teaching on tonight? He said, Ephesians chapter 4. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Ephesians chapter 4? I said, 17 to 31. He says, yeah, that's where I'm going tonight. I said, oh, that's wild. We did not talk about this. Uh, this is kind of an off night in our series. We've been doing the stories of the Bible, and this is kind of an off night in our series because we didn't really have, we had Easter this past Sunday, and that was a big deal, and we had our cross service last week, and that was an amazing night. And so as we looked at this Wednesday night, it was kind of like a free week. It wasn't involved in our normal kind of teaching schedule that we have scheduled for the rest. Of, and so as I started praying about this, uh, at about, mm, I guess it was about four or five o'clock yesterday afternoon, the Lord laid this on my heart, laid this talk on my heart. And this one, this one hits deep for me, but also this one hits deep, I think, for many of you. And I'm going to be as transparent and authentic as I possibly can. I believe that the Lord has a foothold on our student ministry. I, I, I'll take that back. I believe that Satan has a foothold on our student ministry. And it's not just the high school ministry, but it's our middle school ministry as well. And the evil one is seeking to do what only he is good at doing, to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10 10 tells us, Jesus tells us, what is the intent of the evil one? What is the intent of Satan? Is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says on the flip side of that, but I have come to have abundant life. And for those that are maybe visiting or being, you know, you're, somebody invited you, you haven't been coming to Exit 15 very long, I'm going to just ask for you to just kind of respectfully kind of join in with the conversation that we're going to have tonight as a whole as a student ministry. But if you've been coming to HSM for a long time, and that's a lot of you, and you've been a part of our student ministry for a long time, I believe that the conversation that we're going to have tonight can be a very defining moment for us in our ministry. And I'm not just talking about HSM, I'm talking about middle school ministry as well. And so just to preface where we're going, I'm probably going to be pretty hard and kind at the same time. I'm going to speak some truth and love that I believe all of us need to hear. And it really revolves around this thought of don't give him a foothold. Don't do it. Don't allow the evil one to rob you of the blessing of loving God and loving other people. Remember, he's a liar. He's full of deceit. That's all he does. Everything that comes out of the evil one's mouth is to lie to you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He has a plan for your life just as much as God has a plan for your life. And until we as believers in Christ come to that reality that the battle is above and beyond us, it is of the principalities and darkness that we cannot see with our human eyes. But the evil one is a real being that is roaming the planet and seeking to devour you and to take away your joy, to take away your peace. And I will even say that 
in the context of even a believer. Because I know some of you in this room are believing like, hey, I'm sealed by the blood, right? The evil one cannot touch me because I am covered in the blood of Christ. And that is 100% true. Your ownership is under the blood of Christ. But if you open the door of sin in your life, you're just opening the door for the evil one to have a foothold and to build a stronghold in your life, even though you will, even though you know the Lord, the evil one is still going to do what he can do. And he's going to lie to you. And here's the thing, here's the truth. It, it just starts with one little lie, right? Let's just be honest. Lust starts with one little pick. Gossip starts with one little lie. Anxiety begins with one little fear. And I could go on and on and on. And I could talk about all of these different things. And what it all comes back to, and for every one of us, at some point in our life, we open the door for the evil one to steal, kill, and destroy. And many times, we are unaware of what the scheme of the evil one in our hearts and our lives because we have kind of explained it away. We've kind of said, well, it's not that bad. Or this this picture that I'm looking at, it's really not as risque as I think it ought to be. But all it takes is one little lie, one little pick, one little deception. And that's all the evil one needs to get involved in your life. And I'm saying this as all as I can. I see the work of the evil one in our ministry because I see the way that you treat each other. I see the work of the evil one because many of you are entertaining sin. I will say Monday through Saturday, right? You may look good on Sunday. You may look good on Wednesday night. But what you are entertaining throughout the rest of your week is not godly whatsoever. I see the work of the evil one when I'm constantly talking to believers who have been a part of our ministry for a long time that are seeking to ignore God's word. You're ignoring it. And that is the work of the evil one that's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy you. I'm getting emotional because I'm passionate. Because I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough to look you square in the face and say, quit entertaining the evil one. Quit entertaining the little lies, the little deceptions. Kick Satan to the curb in your life. Because when you get to that place, when you get so mad at what the evil one is doing to steal you and rob you of your joy, that's when you start to really fight. And I'm here tonight to simply tell you, it's time to fight. And if anything is a shepherd that God has called me to shepherd this ministry, I'm willing to take this stand right now before God, before the evil one, and before you. And to simply say, we cannot and should not give the evil one one inch because he will take a mile. Amen? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look in your heart. Look in your heart. Look in your mind. 
Look at the words that you have said to other people this week. Heck, even today. How have you glorified the Lord? With your speech? With your thoughts? With the views in front of you? How have you glorified God today? Have you spent time in his word? Not for merely checking the box, but simply for you desire a genuine relationship with the Lord. And as we walk through Ephesians 4, Paul talks about it. He calls it out in the Ephesian church. He calls it out. He calls the sin a sin. And here's here's the reality. What we're dealing with is not a bad person. You are not a bad person. Let me just tell you that. We're not dealing with bad people in the room, okay? We're dealing with an evil one who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. We're dealing with a bunch of sinners, because that's what we are, right? We're a bunch of sinners. I'm, I'm included in that. We are a bunch of sinners, but guess what? There is hope. There is hope for the sinner. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is the hope. We sang his name just a minute ago. He is the hope for the sinner. And praise the Lord, we have Jesus in our hearts and our lives that when we come to this place, when realizing that I have missed it, I have entertained sin in my life, even as a believer, I've entertained sin into my life. Praise the Lord that there is a God in heaven who absolutely knows where I'm at and is willing to forgive me of that sin if I only confess it to him. And that's what I'm praying for tonight. I'm praying for a genuine heart of repentance from all of us all of us, seeking to make it right and seeking to honor the Lord with our lives. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to break this down. Are you giving the evil one a foothold to exploit? And let's start reading in verse 17. If you got your Bible, say, oh yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17. It says, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as Gentiles live in the futility of their heart, their thoughts. Okay, Paul is calling it out. He's calling a sinner a sinner, okay? That's what he's doing. And he's saying the culture that they live in, in Ephesus, because Ephesus is like this huge port city, the Mediterranean Sea, there was a lot of people that would come and go. Commerce was a big deal. But as these people would come and go, they would bring their religions into the city. And ironically, what was crazy to think of in those moments. It had, Ephesus had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And that ancient wonder of the world was this temple to Diana. And it was a pagan god. And the things that they did in that temple were horrific. And Paul, in his missionary journey, you can read about it in Acts, In his missionary journey to Ephesus, he led a lot of people to the Lord and established the church in Ephesus. And so here he is in prison writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's thinking about the culture in which they lived. And he's thinking about the city that was so entangled in sin. And so here he is. He says, therefore, I testify to this in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles, the pagans live. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity 
for the practice of every kind of impurity, which is a desire for more and more. If ever there's a description of what the old life of a Christian is like, there it is. Call out a couple of phrases, what he says. He says, futility of the mind. Lost people are just, they're chasing after nothing. They're darkened in their understanding. They don't know who Jesus is. They're living their lives in darkness. They're ignorant. In other words, I I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the godly life. I don't need any of those things. Indecent behavior, greediness, these are all descriptors of what it means to live an ungodly life. And Paul is calling it like it is, just as much as I'm fixing to call it like it is. Many of us are entertaining some of these things, maybe not all of them, but some of these things. We have entertained darkness. We have entertained callousness. We have entertained ignorance. We have darkened out even Christianity in our hearts and our lives. And Paul is saying, you know what? That's who you once were. That's the next point on the screen. This is a reminder of who you once were. This is a reminder of who you once were. I want you to think about what was life like before Christ. Riley so clearly explain that. Her life, what it was like before Christ. She just didn't know. But until she came into the reality of who Jesus is in her life, then she started to change. I want you to think about what was life like before Christ? Were you a liar? (laughs) Were you full of anger, deceit? Lust was a part of your life? All of those things? What about the professional Christians in the room? Those that you were born a Christian. (laughs) That's my story. I was born in a Christian home. All I known is church. My mom had always made sure that I was here and that I had always heard the gospel. And when I was eight years old, I surrendered my heart and life to Christ. And I have not looked back. There have been moments when I was in middle school, especially in college, that there are some times where I did stray from the Lord and I entertained sin in my life. But there came a point in my life where I repented of that sin and I changed the directory of my life and started surrendering to the Lord and his plans for my life. That may be the story of many of you. But here's the thing. Many of you are sitting here thinking, Steve, I don't know what it's like to be a sinner because I don't, I've never been one. Paul knows that. Because it's not just a list of those that are non-believers. He's actually encouraging those believers who have been believers their whole life. Just think about what your life could be like if you did not have Christ in your life. So it's not just a list of actual sinners. It's true. But it's also a reality check for every one of us that that's what my life could be like if I did not have Christ in my life. If he had not saved me, he had not changed my life, then I would be ignorant. I would be darkness, darkened. I would be calloused. I would be seeking impure things in my life. That's what my life would be like without Christ. And that is a good reminder for all of us in the room that if it were not for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, raising three days later and exalted and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, as Hebrews 12 talks about, like if that had not been a, a yes for us in our life a long time ago, 
we would be as lost as the pagans were in those days. But praise the Lord, he saved you. Praise the Lord, he saved me when I was eight years old. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to be completely transparent. Many of you have lost that joy. You have lost it. You've lost the reality and the gratitude of what Jesus has done for your life. You have gotten so complacent in your Christianity. You have gotten so complacent in realizing, I'm saved, I'm good. I come to church, I'm good. But there's no joy in you. There's no gratitude in you. You have lost that emotion for the Lord. I'm not saying that every time you come into the presence of the Lord, you need to cry and wave your hands. That's not what I'm talking about. But does it move you to the reality that he saved you? That at one point in your life, you said yes to him. You said, Jesus, I receive you into my life. I believe you died on the cross for me. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you died for me. And I give you my life. And some of you have lost that. And I see it by how you treat each other. You have lost the gratitude of what he has done for you on the cross. Paul reminds us, if we keep keep reading in verses 20, we'll go to verse 20. But that, I love this, this is so good, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to the likeness and the righteousness and the purity of the truth. Verse 24, we'll stop there. The second point is turn away from the sinful lifestyle. Paul is telling you to take off the former way and to put on the new. It's like if I had a jacket, literally I was wearing a sport coat. I put the sport coat on and it was, say it was black, okay, to represent sin. If I had a black sport coat on, that was my life in sin. It was full of sin. And Paul is saying, because of what Christ has done, you could take off that sin and put on a nice, crisp, white jacket and put that on. That is the transfer of ownership that when you become a believer in Christ, you are saying no to the old way and you're saying yes to Jesus. It literally is a putting off and a putting on. That because of what Christ, I am going to walk away. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get rid of all this, the sin in my life and I'm going to embrace the godly lifestyle that he would have for me. It is a putting off and a putting on. Do you see that picture? This is what Paul is telling you. He's reminding us that that was the former way, living like pagans. Don't do that. Don't live like pagans. But put on the new self. Put on what the... He's fixing to talk about some of those things. He's put on those things that reflect Christ in your life. That's how the world knows the difference. Paul is writing from prison to this church. He's simply saying, be different than everybody else. And I'll relate it to us. This room, this ministry, it ought to look different than everything else. Amen? Why? Why should it be different? Why? Because of Christ. 
and what he has done and is doing in the hearts and lives of you and your friends. If this room starts looking like the world, we, well, we got a problem. We got a big problem. And it shouldn't look like the world. It should be different. When our lost friends, the people that don't know Christ, they walk into this door, they ought to know that it ought to be different. Heck, they, when, they, when they see you, when you invite them to come, why? Why should they come? Because you are different. Because you are living a life that is glorifying to God and not glorifying sin. Does that make sense? And so it is the putting off of the old self, which is a daily fight. Good Lord, that's a daily fight, right? Because sin is everywhere in our world. Sin, many times, is all a part of our life. But praise the Lord, he has forgiven us of those sins. And I repent of that word. I'm, get, get that world right there. I'm saying no to that. I'm saying, yes, Jesus, come. Yes, Jesus, come. Come in my life. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I'm living for you. That's what I need to be about. Point number three. Embrace the godly lifestyle. He talks about it in verse 23 and 24. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. I love that. The truth of God's word. This big book that I'm holding. They write it where it's smaller. But this big book that I'm holding. This one right here. And what the truth, even what we're reading tonight, it applies to me. It is a timeless truth. And it is a truth that's transformational in my life. But if I ignore this... Am I allowing it to do what it's good at? No. Y'all, if you're a believer in the room, embrace this. It's a part of the godly life that he has for you. It starts by reading. Some of you are like, I don't know where to start. John chapter 1. Just start there. Read about the life of Jesus and go slow. Don't sit there and speed read it. Some of you are like, I did it. Started Genesis 1 last week and got it to Revelation, right? You know, enjoy the read, right? Enjoy the read. Just start somewhere. John chapter 1, read about Jesus. Then go to the book of James and maybe a couple other gospels. Like that is a great spot to to start. But man, it's the truth that transforms us. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, put on the new self, the one created according to the likeness and his righteousness and the purity of the truth. Y'all, if you're digging into this, that's what it means to put on the godly lifestyle. And the things that it teaches in here is very much applicable to how we treat each other. And it talks a lot about that. Paul reminds how we are to treat each other. Embrace the godly lifestyle. Five easy avenues that Satan uses to develop strongholds. Let's talk about those. Let's move on. I got to go fast. I'm running out of time. Good Lord. This is the spot that I think many of us, and Paul calls it out here in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25 all the way to 31, like he calls out strongholds that the devil takes a foothold. And this is the part where I believe that many of us need to start listening in on this talk. Because these five gateway sins, if I could use that phrase, these sins that Paul calls out are definitely the sins that we entertain. And we open the door. We open the door with these five little sins, little sins. And this is where the evil one takes a foothold. Here's the first one. The first one is lying. Let's read verse 25. It says, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Y'all, what you say 
matters. If you're finding yourself telling a lie in order to make yourself feel good, you are wrong. If you tell a lie to avoid a conflict, you're wrong. There are times in our lives, especially in how we treat each other, you guys know this just as much as I know this, I don't have to let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. He's already doing it. The minute I said that there's some of you are opening the door for the evil one to take a hold of your life because you're allowing your tongue to speak lies. And you're joining the evil one and doing what he's really good at doing, right? Telling a lie. This is what he does. And some of you are bracing that in your life. The second part he calls out in verse 26 is be angry. Anger. This is be angry. Do not sin, and don't let the, the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. I love that, because that's what the whole phrase is, right? Don't give him a foothold. Paul's calling out this anger that you have in your life. Now, there's different types of anger, for sure. The anger that Paul is talking about here is the anger that we have for one another and such that we would want to do bodily harm. Like, we would want, you get so bent up in anger, you're like, ah, you know? rage monster, all those kind of things. Now, there is a holy, righteous anger where we get angry at the evil one, but we never should allow our anger to lead us towards sin. And Paul says that is an open door for the evil one to take over. Stealing. Verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal. <laughs> I love it. He gives an antidote. He says, said, He's to do honest work with his own hand so that he has something to share with anyone in need. You're like, I don't steal, Steve. Let me uh, put it in teenage terms, okay? You may not steal 20 bucks from the convenience store, but you're actively stealing somebody else's joy with your words. You may not steal from your parents or whatever. You may not do those you know, harmful things like stealing from a friend or whatever, that kind of thing. But you definitely are um, seeking to steal somebody else's joy, somebody else's, because you're jealous of them, you're envious of them, and so you will do everything to steal from them. You, you don't want them to have a joy-filled life, and so you'll degrade them and rob them of that. Did I step on some toes there? I think that we do that a lot. And I'll be honest with you, we do it right here. And this is where the evil one's taking a foothold in our ministry. The next one, corrupt speech. He said in verse 29, it says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. I don't think I need to explain that one. Do I need to explain that one? Can you see how the evil one would use your foul language to take a foothold in your own heart and your own life? But Steve, it kind of feels appropriate sometimes. Does it? But Steve, it just comes out. Well, what's in your heart? Because what's in your heart comes out your mouth. Maybe there needs to be a heart change in some of us. The room's getting a little restless about this one. We'll keep moving. Corrupt speech. And the last one is bitterness in verse 30 and 31. 
And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. And I want to explain this verse right here. What Paul is talking about here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, let not your actions contradict the God that's in you. For when you do, you grieve the heart of God. And so what you do, how you speak, how you act, does it reflect the God that saved you? Does it reflect the God that's living within you? Or are you <laughs> apathetic, two-faced? You want me to keep going? Double-minded? I think many of us in this room are doing that. Five petty sins. The last one's bitterness. Some of you are bitter. You're bitter toward God. You're bitter toward your family. You're bitter toward your friends. You're so mad for whatever reason that it's caused this bitterness in your, in your heart and your life. And that is a sin, y'all. That is a sin. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He can forgive that. He can forgive all five of these things. If only, if only we would be repentant and we'd only seek the Lord and allow him to change us from the inside out. He gives us some reminders of how the godly are to treat each other. And I love this. Paul, he, he tells us the problem. He highlights who we are. He tells us who we are in Christ. He says, hey, there's some, some strongholds here you need to like be paying attention to. And then he leaves us with some encouragements. Aren't you glad? Because right now some of you are feeling very convicted about your lifestyle. And he tells you, he tells us, he gives us five little quick hits. You ready for this on how we're to treat each other? One, be kind in your actions and in your speech. Let's read that. In verse 32, he says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And if you jump over to verse chapter five, he talks a little bit more. He says, therefore, what is therefore? It is all the things that he's talked about, the being kind, the compassionate, the one another, forgiving, all those things. Therefore, be imitators of God. As dearly loved children, walk in love. Walk is a, whenever you see that in scripture, it's not necessarily a walk of love. It is a lifestyle of love. Paul is talking about live a lifestyle of love. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for up. Sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. If you want to keep reading chapter five, it gets really convicting at that point. But I'll stop right there. Because Paul gives us five things. He says, be kind in your actions. Bellevue High School Ministry, be kind to each other. Be kind. You know where that starts? On the volleyball court. Right after this. Be kind. In your words. In your actions. Be kind. Good Lord, man, this is church league volleyball. Right? Hopefully you go to church league volleyball, you think, okay, maybe there's some good people here. (laughs) But man, we let each other down all the time. How do we say I'm sorry? Do you, are you willing to say I'm sorry when you wrong somebody? That's what it means to be kind to one another. Are you willing to say I'm sorry? Are you willing to make amends, to apologize? Don't always say the first thing that you think of, all right? That's a great thing. That's a great piece of advice. You want to put that one in the bottom of the notes and quotes down there. Don't always say 
the very first thing you think. Number two, have compassion for those around you. Do you care for those around you? Do you care about them? Are you seeking to meet the needs of those around you? Guys, there are hurting people in our ministry. One of them may be sitting right next to you, but you've lost your compassion for them. Think about somebody else other than yourself. Can I say that again? Think of somebody else other than yourself. Y'all, you're selfish. I'll say it. I'll just say it. You're selfish. And some of you don't know any better. You think of you before you think of anybody else. Be compassionate to those around you. We ought to never turn a blind eye to those in need. If there's a friend that's hurting next to you, hopefully you're praying for them, not just in your words saying, hey, I'm gonna pray for you, but you actually pray for them. And I think we did a lot of that last week during our cross service. And I commend you for that. Number three, forgive often. Forgive often. People will wrong you. And guess what? You're not perfect at it either. People will wrong you. How do you extend forgiveness to them? But if forgiveness is on our hearts and we give it and receive it, God is honored and we will live in peace. Forgiveness is not something you just necessarily receive, but forgiveness is something that you give. Number four, and this is in verse one of chapter five, he talks about imitate God. Imitate God. The things that I'm saying, the actions that are coming out of my hands and my feet, the places I'm finding myself, am I honoring the Lord? Am I entertaining angels in that moment? Am I imitating God? You are a child of God, so act like it. I say that as lovingly as I can. You are a child of God. Start acting like it. Quit degrading each other. Quit. It's time to start looking at each other with compassion and love. I mean, you are a child of God. He has forgiven you. Forgive others. He is loving you unconditionally. Why don't you give the same kind of love to each other? He's not speaking vile threats towards you, so why are you doing it to each other? I love the, the phrase that Pastor Steve is in my head. Just stop it. Pastor Steve says that a lot. It's really fun. Just stop. Anyway. And the last one, walk in love. Walk in love. Live a lifestyle of loving God and loving others. Walk in love. That is embracing a lifestyle of godliness. The final thought, and then we'll wrap things up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Right there, that verse. There's a reason why it's on the wall. It's been on the wall for four and a half years. Because I believe it. And I believe it ought to be true of us. That we need, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. John 10.10 10 is another verse that we all need to embrace. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I want you personally to experience the fullness that Jesus offers you will never embrace that fullness 
until you start looking at the ways that the evil one is exploiting you and how you have willingly opened the door to allow the evil one to take a foothold in your heart and your life. Let me say it again. You will never experience the abundant life that he has for you if you constantly open the door for the evil one to exploit you through your little petty sins. I love y'all. I love every one of you. I may not know every one of your names, but good Lord, I try. But I love you. And I'm tired of seeing, I'm tired of seeing you allow the evil one to exploit you. He's using you. I don't know who exactly I'm talking to, but he's using you to divide the student ministry. He's using you to divide your friend groups. He's using you to split up friendships. And some of us in this room need to call out the sin in our own life, not the life of somebody else. We need to look here. Where am I at fault? What if I, what area in my life have I allowed the evil one to exploit? Is it my words? Is it my actions? Is it how I treat each other? My best friend, my friend group? I'm lovingly calling you to repent. You need to change something because how you're doing it right now is not working. You need to change something. Either change your perspective, change your routine, change what you read, change what you study, put down the phone, open up the book, spend some time there, and let that filter your world. And don't let culture decide who you are. That was prophetic. Do not allow that world out there to determine your value and to determine your identity or even to determine your gender. Y'all, there's a God who created every one of us unique. He created you and has a plan for you. And I can guarantee you that plan does not include dividing your family, dividing your friends, dividing this ministry. That is not what God desires of us. And we have allowed culture and our own emotions, our own anger. We have opened the door, willingly opened the door for the evil one to come in to lie to us and to rob us of our joy.